Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start And a network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network, after my sister Marsha Joyce And I'm very excited today We have the author of Blind Vigil here, Mike Coyle how could Rick Cahill solve a murder when he's blind? You're about to find out. Good morning and welcome to MIMJ Network. Good morning. So, Rick Cahill got shot and lost tomorrow's because I did read that. And um, how did this happen? And in the present, how does it affect his life? According to the article in Thriller, you actually interviewed some people that were blind? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog in my throat. Yes, I did. Um, of course, Rick's injury came at the end of Lost Tomorrow's, which you mentioned, where he's uh, finally solved the mystery of what happened to his uh, wife, who is kind of the uh, the main thrust for the actions he takes for many books. Um, and I did, I did, uh, I was in a writer's group, and one of the women there had a friend in Los Angeles who had lost her eyesight, I think in her forties. And I talked to her on the phone. And then I also met a younger woman, uh, in, who I'd seen many times in a bonds near me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I finally talked to her one time when she needed help getting to a subway sandwich shop in the mall. And I, I walked her there and we spent some time together. And, uh, I learned a lot about uh, the things I wrote about. She also confirmed some of the assumptions I had. So I did. I did research that way. I also bought a seeing eye cane and uh, walked around a little bit at night, you know, with my eyes closed. Um, but yeah, I did some research on it. And, and also beyond that, I, I researched um, the possible ways uh, for Rick's senses to be enhanced, other senses to be enhanced when he's lost his eyesight, which can happen. It usually happens when you're younger, but it does happen to some degree. So I did my research for sure. That that's amazing. I wish I had some of this technology when my grandmother was alive because she was blind from the concentration camps when they x-rayed her. So she had paratonin cataracts. She could not see at all. She used to count the steps to walk somewhere. I never knew that. Yeah. Something it's, it's scary. Does book. He does too. So how did he deal with his blindness on a daily basis? And he relied on his other senses. How did that work? Yeah, like I said, that's something that does happen to um, people who have lost their eyesight and probably happens to people who have lost other senses that their other um, remaining senses get stronger. Uh, for Rick, I had him, I had him, something he really concentrated on because, um, you know, it was a whole new world for him and um, he wasn't exactly sure where he was going to go from here. He's been a private investigator. He didn't want to do that any, anymore anyway um, because of some, it seems like every... Uh, Every time you try to do something to help people over the years, bad bad things would happen. So it's kind of in this uh, nether world when the when the book opens, 
he's counting steps when he's walking. He's um, trying to decide what he's going to do in his new life. He's actually in, in mm-hmm. a stable relationship for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. But he, um, but he's starting to realize that actions that he's not only responsible just for himself as he's used to, but now he's got a woman he loves and cares about, and if he makes bad decisions, they can they can harm her. So he's kind of uh, a little bit lost in the book opens, trying to find out what he's going to do. And then um, his old partner, sometime partner, mm-hmm. Moira McFarlane, asked him to help out in my case. Things change after that. Yeah, well, he wasn't sure if he wanted to do it, but yet he did. And they have like this love-hate relationship, those two. Yeah. So how did he meet, how did he meet her? How did he meet her? And why would he even want to work with her? She's impossible, but you have to love her. Uh, they met in the second book, Night Tremors, where he was hired right. to take a case, and someone else she'd been hired before. He didn't know, and uh, when they when they hired him on the case, they let her go, and she found out where he lived. He came over to his house to complain. And uh, they kind of struck up an odd uh, friendship after that. She's actually the uh, smarter one of the of the two, and a little less um, a little less by the gut than Rick. So he kind of smooths he smooths out her rough edges when they work together. Well, ask him to help on the case. As his friend Turk was spying on his girlfriend. That's not nice. And allows readers to know that their typical working relationship is not the same. So why is Maury so afraid of a mistake? Because something happened in the past, and she's sort of like afraid to even do this by herself. Yeah. Um, she, while Rick was um, recovering from his injuries from being shot in the last book, she'd taken a case, uh, what they call domestics, where a husband had hired her to spy on his wife to see if she was messing around. And she was, and, and Moira reported that back to the husband, and he ultimately murdered his wife and committed suicide. So when uh, Moira's, when Turk Muldoon asked Moira to surveil his girlfriend, she's reluctant because of what's happened in the past, but she knows Rick has a very, had at one point a very close relationship with Turk. So she asked him to help out. Just She wants him to go to their, their interview with Turk. Just to get a sense, even though Rick can't see, she figures he, he, she, she, he knew Turk well enough to be able to get a, a sense of his um, truthfulness and of his emotional stability by listening to the conversation. And um, he goes, and, and he is struck by the fact that Turk would do something like this, be, be in a relationship where it mattered so much to him, because while they knew each other, Turk had had many girlfriends, and you know they came and went, and that was fine with Turk. He was, he's never really been in a serious relationship. So the fact that he was uh, so um, intent on finding out what was going on, and Turk real, Rick realized that this woman meant um, more to Turk than the other woman had, but also he couldn't trust her. So he agrees to help, and of course, bad things ensue. I know it's like really, it's it's. it's... Okay, so question. If um, I have the questions in front of me, if there's one question um, that I shouldn't that I shouldn't have asked, I, did, I don't have it in red like you had it before. So I just want to make sure that if I if I ask a question that you don't want answered, just say pass on it. Okay. okay. Now, why does Turk feel that he 
that his girlfriend is cheating on him, and how do they proceed? Why does he insist that he wants to find out why? Poor guy. Well, he uh, he he uh, owns a restaurant where uh, Rick had been the manager of many years before, and the his his uh, girlfriend or, or at had worked there, and um, she ended up working uh, down the street in another restaurant. And her her um, routine would be after she gets off, she's a hostess. After she would gets off, she'd come by because the restaurants are very close together, say hello to Turk, and then head home. And one night, Turk is outside, and after he goes outside after she's on her way home, and he realizes she's going in the opposite direction, and she goes into the um, La Valencia Hotel. And he he follows her, and she does this a couple times when he's following her, and he doesn't ask her about it because uh, she's he questioned her before early in a relationship, and she'd broken up with him about mm-hmm. something else, and so he's reluctant to uh, have that happen again. So um, ultimately, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily think she's cheating on him. I mean that's that's one of the options, but he just wants to know what's going on. So that's why he hires well, a private investigator. But Rick is. What is Mara thinks he he's guilty, as sin, and Rick doesn't think he is guilty. So why do they continue continue to investigate anyway? And she says that ah, he did it. You know, typical man cheated. What can you do? Typical girl cheating. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I, ultimately. Um, Ultimately, something happens, and uh, yeah, Moira thinks Turk has committed a violent act, and Rick doesn't think he does and did. And Rick, because of that, Rick decides to try to uh, investigate on his own, which is kind of hard to do when you can't see. I know it's kind of hard when you can't see. So, who is this man in the bar? How does he learn about his connection to her? Yeah, she the, um, through investigating, Moira finds out that she had met this this um, unknown person at that point in a bar, and it doesn't really seem like there's a romantic uh, relationship there, but it's definitely something she's she's hiding. So it it, it turns out to be someone from um, her, we'll just say from her family's past, and that's kind of uh, where the story goes. That's where the the clues and mysteries start to add up. So who is this lawyer that they hire? They get a lawyer, right? And the lawyer only wants Rick as a sort of a showpiece to show his support because of who he is, because it's his Turk's friend. And he doesn't go with that. How come this lawyer doesn't realize that without Rick you're not going to get anywhere? Well, the lawyer is somebody uh, Rick had worked for, worked with in the past uh, when he was, you know, a viable private investigator. He um, helped lawyer out with cases. His name is uh, Ellis Fenton, and Rick calls him Elk. He was a childhood friend, actually. And he um, he realizes it's a there's a there's a it's a kind of a high what happens to someone's murder, and it's a high uh, visibility case, which is good for a lawyer. Um, to be involved in the press and, and be able to potentially get even bigger cases. And he sees Rick as Rick had, had, uh, as kind of a checkered past and with the press, but with what happened up in Santa Barbara and the book before Lost Tomorrow's and his wife, he's kind of seen now as a heroic figure, particularly since he lost his, 
his eyesight. And so uh, Elk Fenton likes to, wants to use Rick as kind of in every interview he does with Turk in the, mm-hmm. in the background. He wants uh, Rick there to be like this, this kind of heroic figure who believes in Turk. So he believes in the public should too. Potential potential juror pool out there should too. Now Rick kind of starts to realize that I'm just I am just a showpiece. I'm I'm just a uh, here to be uh, seen and not really heard or used, and that doesn't doesn't really work for for Rick. But then, well, Elk begins to question Rick's judgment for some actions Rick takes, which is not unusual for Rick. Why do you get the impression that the detectives think that uh, he's guilty? That's a solid case. We won't say why they think that, but yeah, how come? And I don't like Denton well, at all. I'm sorry. Well, things things uh, add up. There's um, Turk is um, can't account for some of his time. There's it, murder happens late at night, and you, know, you can say you're home alone, but there's, you don't really have an alibi. And of course, uh, there's there's if it's a murder, if it's someone he knew, his DNA is going to be in her place anyway. So there's there's DNA as well. And uh, the murder weapon is found, which is which is known to belong to Turk. So things definitely add up. That's really weird. So what made Rick? Okay, he was. He, tell us about Detective Hillary Denton. She's horrible. Really, she doesn't like Rick at all. Well, they have a past. Goes back to the very first book, yesterday's Echo. Um, yeah. For one thing, Rick. Rick, Rick himself, of course, has a past. He was for many years thought to be um, a guy who got away with murdering his wife, which is finally solved in uh, the last book, Lost Tomorrow's. His father had been a cop in the Royal Police Department, which was where Haley Denton works. And um, he was thought to be a bad cop. And so they just think bad seed. Rick's a bad seed. He's an apple from the rotten tree, the rotten apple from the apple tree, what have you. And uh, they had they had some things that happened in the past where um, Rick doesn't think she's a straight shooter, and of course she feels the same about him. You know, he tends to um, when he gets involved in a case, he follows it wherever it goes, and he butts in and he, mm-hmm. where he shouldn't, where he doesn't belong. His, his his credo handed down to him from his late father is sometimes you have to do what's right, even when the law says it's wrong. And of course, mm-hmm. he does that a lot, so he bumps up against the police a lot. Well, he's my kind of person because when I want to find an answer to a question, I don't care how many phone calls I have to make till I get the right answer, which is what right. I've been doing you all day. That way. Uh, you have to be. Like, you have to be sometimes. Yeah. So he went. He, what he was eating. What made Rick attack the man while eating with Ellis? The lawyer, and why did this cloud the lawyer's opinion of him? There must have been a reason why he did that. Why well, he got a weird, weird kind of feeling. I would have smacked him too. Uh, how to answer that question? Um, he's because of his greater senses. Rick um, has thought he's, he's has thought that he and Moira were followed during various. Um, times during the early investigation. He, he has he smells. Um, smells dove deodorant for men uh, mm-hmm. behind him a couple of times, and he thinks that this is that he's being followed by this guy. And, and Moira didn't see the person, and she thinks, well, you know, a lot of people wear dove deodorant, and he's in a situation in a um, restaurant where 
behind him. He smells that. Uh, he smells it again and confronts the guy. And um, I won't go any further than that. But you know, a lot of people wear dub deodorant. That's all I'll say. <laughs> this is so it's just so weird. But you know, scents are very scented. I just read a book about uh, this girl that created a scent for every single person. And she's able to figure out a way to stop the coronavirus using a specific scent or a specific application. Wouldn't that be nice? So cool. That would be very uh, nice. Much needed. That would be very nice. Of course, it's not going to ever happen. Um, yeah. So he faces many obstacles, not just his blindness, what? And he doesn't stop until he gets somewhere. That's what's great about him. But what other obstacles does he face besides the police and being blind? And everybody wanting to kill him. Well, he's, um, he's 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 kind of it's a different beyond mm-hmm. losing his eyesight, being vision impaired. He's in a much different mm-hmm. place when this book opens, and that mm-hmm. he's uh, the driving thrust of his life to find out who killed his wife has been solved. He's in, he no longer wants to be a private investigator, even if he could be, and he's in this committed relationship. So he feels that he has to, he's, he takes uh, much more consideration when he. He takes action now because because it can affect what he does can affect his um, girlfriend. This finally committed nice relationship where um, you know his, he's in love, which for him has been a long time. And so he's got the obstacle of uh, if I do this, what you know, how's this going to affect um, Leah, who's his girlfriend? Mm-hmm. And he's also got he's he's not only battling the police in some respects he's he's having to try to reconvince Moira of Turk's innocence and that's a constant battle. So when he when someone who's kind of his partner and his backbone, she's not always there for him. So he he even bypassed. She wanted him to move to Santa Barbara, and he said no. How come he didn't want to move there? He wants to stay where he is. Oh, his girl, his girlfriend wants to move there. Yeah, her business is up there. Um, this is the one you told me not to ask. Sh- that's okay. We'll figure it out. Um, she set up a potential job for Rick up in Santa Barbara, and he's uh, and and probably two weeks or a week before he took this case, he would consider moving. But in taking the case, he's realized the thing that's been missing in his life really is this need to find the truth. And uh, ultimately, uh, he wants to investigate things again and be a private investigator. And beyond that, it, 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 Santa Barbara will always be the um, his place of lost tomorrows, where his first wife was murdered. And it's um, mm-hmm. it's not a place, even though it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it's where he met Leah. It's not a place where you can go without having to be haunted by uh, memories. So he uses a cane to get around, right, in order to figure out where he's going? A white cane? Right. He uses a cane, yeah. Right. That, that's hard, yeah. There, there's a man in this neighborhood. I don't know how he does it. He just walks with his, with a cane, and he crosses the street and doesn't have a problem. I don't know if he could see shadows or whatever, but it's amazing. So I'm not well, going to ask uh, about I, the person. It's amazing. How do they do that? Well, yeah, just to, just to touch on that, one thing I, I um, yeah. learned – is that there's there's various degrees of, of um, blindness, mm-hmm. and but beyond that, um, 
people, uh, vision impaired people do count when their steps if they're out. Or and they mean, it may just be um, subconsciously after you go to some place now and again. Like this, this woman I met, the one I met and took to the Subway sandwich shop, she took the same route every day. She would walk from, she probably would take about uh, almost maybe a mile walk from her home with this cane every day up to the um, up to the mall. And she had a routine. I actually walked her home one time and it was dusk. So for me, it was, I was the vision was getting a little impaired. And we were walking on a sidewalk that was very uneven. And uh, she never hit, like she never had a misstep. And after I, well, after I walked her home and I was walking back myself and it was, it gotten darker and I uh, ended up tripping over one of these un, uneven pieces of sidewalk and almost went down. And I realized I needed her to, uh, to guide me. Yeah. So they, they, that the you know the, the the cane becomes kind of a, a seeing eye appendage in some ways. I I know how you feel. I was walking in the end of April, and there were two people walking behind me, and they wanted to get past me. So I let them go past me, but my glasses fogged up from my mask, and needless to say, I broke my yeah. thumb, hit my head, and almost killed my nose. Oh. And you called my friend at the emergency room and just said, "I'm coming." And thank God then oh, I, they wow. just said, we love you, just come. I, that was a, a nightmare or the broken thumb, but whatever. So why does he visit so you must, Turk in you jail? Must wear, you must wear glasses if you had yeah, if your glasses fog. I get yeah, that all my the glasses, time the mask. The my glasses fog yeah. up. I don't even know. And, and it's that horrible. It happens every day. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and then on top of wearing the mask, I get nauseous from it. It's horrible. I mean, it's not that I don't wear it. It's just that and it doesn't do much for the way you look either. Seriously, even if you wear ones with different <laughs> colors, I mean, and that doesn't match my blonde hair with with red, purple, green, and yellow highlights in it. And what can I say? I'm just hoping my hairdresser gets better because he's got it. What can I say? <laughs> so, why does he visit Turk in jail, and how can we tell they both have some kind of secret, different kinds of guilt towards each other? Well, they have a. Um... They have a checkered patch too. They're best friends. Yeah. Turk had kind of taken Rick under his wing, uh, wing way back when Turk was uh, in uh, I think junior high, and or maybe high school. He was fourteen or so, and he, he worked at the restaurant, uh, Turk's family's restaurant, in the summer because his, Rick's own father had been kicked off the police force and kind of went down a spiral down into a drunken well where he couldn't keep a job. So Rick needed to help out with the family expenses and he worked at the Muldoon's restaurant. And so they became friends way back when. And um, Rick became, Turk became kind of like a big brother to Rick. He didn't have a brother. And then in yesterday's echo, they have a falling out over um, some things Turk did and the way Rick handled it. Well, ultimately, Turk ended up saving Rick's life, and they've uh, they kind of re- in this in this uh, need to to help Turk. Rick feels, even though they've had a falling out years ago, Rick feels a sense of uh, he starts to that brother that brotherhood brotherhood feeling mm-hmm. becomes rekindled, and he feels that loyalty that's always inside Rick, and uh, he feels he has to help, and he sees the Turk he used to know. But he also doesn't – Turk withholds a lot of different things throughout this um, the whole situation. Yeah, I know. And and so Rick is his question, is this the guy I used to know or is this someone I never really knew? That, that's the constant um, situation for Rick regarding Turk. 
Well, I like Turk, but she's got to bone up and realize Rick is there to help him. So Rick convinces Moira that the link is someplace else. Why does he convince her to go with him to find out where it is? Because he can't go by himself because he's blind. Yeah, he gives her he he um Rick just thinks there's a link back in Idaho. A small town yeah. called Bellevue in Idaho. And he he works hard on Moira and gives her enough information where he thinks, Well, this is worth investigating. So they fly to Idaho and um they get some they get some important information and um ironically that was it was only a one, probably less. They were there less than twenty-four hours, and it was the characters that I discovered in Idaho were my favorite characters of the book, particularly a cranky old private investigator in um, Idaho Falls. I think it is. Yeah, they well, find out what they need in Idaho. That uh, everything goes back to Idaho. We're not going to tell anybody how, though. So, what does okay. he learn when he gets there, and who does he speak to that we could talk about? Well, he finds um, first he talks to a couple ranchers, brothers that own this cattle ranch, and um, I didn't, I wasn't able to travel to Idaho, but I got a lot of great information from people that um, one woman I went to high school with, and uh, a brother of a guy I played football with, who both live in Idaho, and turns out this uh, this dead person had uh, connections to this Idaho ranch, and from there. They find um, a couple leading candidates for um, the violence that's happened, and um, they get them through this private investigator, this old cranky private investigator who uh, was one of the more enjoyable characters I had to write in, in the last few books. That's probably as much as I can say about that. So it ties to somebody else in her family briefly. Can we? Is that one of the questions I'm supposed to cross out? Ties to somebody in, in shape. Yeah, that that one. I'm going to cross that one out. So, how does her past come into her present? Well, um, whatever little trip she's on when she's deceiving mm-hmm. Turk, her past. And mm-hmm. almost with all the books that I write, the past, uh, obviously going mm-hmm. back to yesterday's Echo, the, the past uh, is always um, influences the present. Definitely so in this in this book. It's always been the case for Rick where his whole his whole life's quest since uh, yesterday's echo has been dealing with his past, the the death of his his wife and this I always when I started writing this character I wanted every bad decision he made and every action he took to have repercussions that he that, that he couldn't walk away from, couldn't avoid and mm. that that happens to uh, almost everybody in, in this book. That's what that's what makes it interesting. So I'm going to add a question in here. When you write a write a story, a character in a series, or a plot in a series, how do you always decide what's going to happen to Rick, and how do you decide the main storyline? Because I've been asking that of John Land and and Dick Belsky and Charles Saltzberg and everybody. That's the hardest thing because when I read your books, I don't say, "Oh gosh, it's another Rick Cahill. I'm going to be bored another another plot." I don't say that. I've said that about a couple of other people that don't know it, but yeah. I mean, how do you keep it interesting that it's that I don't get I don't get bored. I read this in one day, by the way. And what happened was Lisa emailed me and said, How come you didn't tell me you got the book? And the post office 
Somebody took the book from the book from the mailroom. They took your book. No, really, they literally took it. And it's not the first time that people in this building know that I do this, and they took the book, and I was really upset. So I ordered it. Oh. So I could do this. And then she sent me another one. And the, one of the oh. girls in my medical office wants it. She's got hands out for this one. But I'm serious. Um, I, I, you don't, you don't make it boring. I want to know more about him. I can't wait for the next one. So how do you do that? And keep the series alive. That yeah, I say to, oh my God, another Rick Cahill. This is great. Uh huh. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. There, I, I, just a, on a side note, there, I've had a lot of issues with during COVID shipping books. I don't know what's going on out there, but they're 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 disappearing. But um, yeah, for me, when I'm yeah. starting to write a book, um, the thing that comes to me first is always the major subplot for Rick. There's always something mm-hmm. uh, going on with him, either uh, emotionally, relationship-wise, or physically, internally. There's always something, and that comes to me first. And that, that's the easy part: finding the, um, the subplot, the major subplot that's going to affect him throughout the book. Now, finding the um, the main through plot. Is through line is is the tougher part for me, and mm-hmm. uh, in this in this book, of course, I had something sort of built in in terms of his disability, but to find I, what I'm always concentrating on when I'm going to write a, a, a Rick book is how is the case? I need to find a case that's going to affect him emotionally, mm-hmm. and it may it may tie with the subplot or it may not, but ultimately. He needs to be emotionally involved in the case so he can make these um, gut decisions, these sometimes bad decisions, and feel responsible for people he's he's trying to help. Once he feels responsible, he's going to go to the wall and thus um, maybe follow his gut too much. So it, it doesn't always uh, – it may not always, may not always be uh, on the surface for, for readers how he's going to – how the uh, – He's going to be hooked into the case. It may not it may not be obvious right away, but as it develops, um, then they'll, as it develops, I'll find something deeper for him to be connected to. And so that's always the major um, concern: is how do I make this matter to Rick? And um, for this, it was you know once I hooked on the uh, Turk uh, idea, it was important because friendship and and uh, Rick's kind of broken up little family is all involved here. But yeah, I always so what happens for us is how can this affect Rick? What happens when Leo comes and visits him, and she wants to she wants to try to convince him to move or to be with her? And how did how did that that was an awkward scene, and I felt so bad for her because basically she belongs there seriously. Yeah, see that's the um, that's the new situation for Rick is that when yeah. he, now he has to think for beyond himself that there's there's someone else that's his life is now fuller but there's more responsibility and she has a plan for him that would sort of make sense but he has his own plan not that she's overbearing or anything like that but mm-hmm. no, she's, she's not. found a she's found she's found a way for him to, to to go a new path and to have to find a different meaning in his life and He's not. Although he he thought he was looking for that, he's he's found what he really wants to do, which is what he's always done. Why is it that she stays with him and she doesn't go to somebody else to have more permanent? I get a feeling she wants a permanent relationship with somebody. Well, he's kind of you know he has his own kind of messed up charm, so there's that. Plus, well, they had a, they have an emotional connection for for what happened in the last book. It's kind of hard to to sever. I know. 
So why does he risk his life so often and get blindsided? And this is hard for him because he sort of sees, but he doesn't really see. He can't really see. So what does he do that anyway? I mean, he gets blindsided a lot. I wanted to smack the guy that tried to hurt him. Yeah, he can't see. uh, He was kind of blind before he was blind in a lot of ways because he does. Mm -hmm. He goes with his gut a lot, and his gut's not always right. It is right most of the time. But once he catches the scent of something, he's uh, which in this book is literal. He um, he has to follow it through, and he gets uh, tunnel vision at times. That's why Moira is quite helpful to him when she's in on a case with him for him to see the different uh, different uh, parameters. But he gets tunnel vision. He gets dug in, and that can be detrimental to himself and uh, those he's trying to help. But He's, there's definitely a bulldog in him where once he, he, he gets on a case, he's not going to let it go. So Tell us about he, the DA, and why is he so sure that he's going to win this one? Well, they have a pretty good case. They've got uh, yeah, DA, no, yeah. They've got the murder weapon. They've got no alibi. They've got um, witnesses putting Turk on the scene uh, during the window of um, of death. So uh, they got a good case. I take it. Well, a lot of times, you know, how many books of friends, right? Two thousands of them. Um, a lot of times, the police have one suspect, and that's it. They don't even look to find another one. And that's pretty much a lot in real life, too, isn't it? They do. They have. Okay, this guy did it. I'm not going to go any further. And it could be somebody else. And that seems to be the way this police department is working, also. We have the we have the guy. That's it. We don't have to look any further, even though it might not be that person that did it. Well, I think that I, I brought you know I'm I'm working with fictional um, yeah, no. <laughs> for for a reason because I have uh, a lot of extended family in law enforcement and oh, nice. I uh, have a lot of uh, I know what good people they are. But for the purposes of fiction and in some case real life, and of course we've all seen that. If you watch uh, Forty Eight Hours of Dateline or something, yeah, I do. There is, there is the, um, you know, once you find, once you find the what seems to be the right suspect, there is the, um, there is a little bit of that, their own tunnel vision, and if you start investigating, you know, mm-hmm. once you lock onto that one suspect, when you start investigating other suspects, with. Um, you know, you have to. The, the DA has to give all that information to the defense for trial, and so when they see these other people have been investigated, that gives them that gives the defense other targets as well. So, um, I think that there can be tunnel vision. Although, you know, I don't. I'm not a cop. Never been one. I think tunnel vision can come into play in real life, but yeah. um, you know, it's it's helpful in books. Well, I have to tell you, on February 10th, speaking of law enforcement. Alan Jacobson, David Putnam, uh, Mary Clark, who's uh, friends with Vincent Zandri, uh, State Trooper, Bruce Coffin, and Detective Lance Barbuso will be coming on to do an original panel show talking about law enforcement, how they dealt with cases, how you deal with it, and the show is to honor men in blue, men and women in blue. Oh, good. Yeah, that was my idea. Some of those idea. people are friends of mine. Good. I know, and I'm honored that David Putnam is coming on, really, seriously. And what I do is I'm going to set up the questions and send them 
to my pal Alan Jacobson to organize me because that's what he does when he's on the show. He goes, could I do this for you? Can I put it this way? I go, I don't care. Be my guest. It's fine with me. It works better. Okay, before I forget, um, on the 30th, Sage Webb will be back again for the Antori Effect. I received an email, a text that day. I won't say what I said when I got it, but when I realized what I said, I got, oh, my God, i got to cancel the show. It's when I found out that my hairdresser has COVID. And the expletives oh. that came out of my mouth were, oh, my God, I went like, you never, <laughs> thank God I'm okay. Um, on the 5th, we have Dick Belsky, Vincent Zandri, Charles Salzberg, um, and we're going to be talking about whatever happens in the publishing industry. It should be interesting. On the 7th, yeah. uh, Mary, Le- Mary Leibowitz is going to be there. Uh, Jesus, the rabbi of Nazareth, and that's all I'll say about that. On the 11th, uh, Cindy McDonald. On the 13th, the author of Blood Country. And on the 14th, my sound went out when I was interviewing Dennis Palumbo. We're going to talk about fear, isolation, oh. stress, and anxiety, and depression during this horrible pandemic. And we were talking about it, had a phenomenal discussion, and there was a storm and my sound went out, and then the internet went out. And that didn't exactly help at all. No, well. definitely so that, that's what's coming up, and I am honored that on ja- January 20th, James Corpando is going to do an hour, and on the 4th of, of February, Iris and Roy Johansson, and on the 24th, Lincoln Child, um, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child for their brand-new book, The Scorpion's Tale. That's just some of what's coming up on this girl. So, so if anybody has a new book coming out in March, April, and May, you better tell me now because I'm getting filled up. So your books, yeah. I I, I really and please off, uh, post office book mail, please send me something. I I never write negative <laughs> yeah. reviews, Matt, ever. But I just read a short story book that is so violent and so angry and so I don't want to I don't want to say anything about it. I just want to review it. I, I have to look at it again and go like, do I really have to do this one? So tell us about um, more about the lawyer that's defending or trying to defend Turk the Elk lawyer. The Elk, the, the Ellis, the lawyer. The, I don't like him. Elk, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he's uh, he's he's uh, he was kind of the goofy kid when Rick was uh, Rick was an athlete yeah. in high school, and this guy was a little bit of a hanger-on, and he he was kind of a funny guy, and yeah, he kept around. He was funny, but Rick feels responsibility to him as he's as he's matured, as Rick has matured. And Elk's been helpful to him in terms of getting him uh, work over the years. And but he does he does, although he's his uh, his um the the uh, his clients always come first. There's no question about that. But this is an opportunity for him to get a greater um, exposure in the press because it's a very big case. And so there there's that. But he um, he does come to question Rick's judgment for probably. Uh, for legitimate reasons, I would say, from the outside. So how do how does Rick piece cases together? How does he manage to figure out what happened? How does he do that? Because he's he's very methodical in his own mind, and yet he figures things out. How does he manage to piece things together when most people have enough problems trying to piece themselves together? Well, it's uh, he's he's wrong some of the times. Some of the times uh, he ends up uh, getting to the conclusion, maybe not through his uh, being erudite and and uh, following clues to 
the to the to best uh, conclusion, but he's just he's just bulldogged. He's he never quits, and so when he gets his teeth into something, he just keeps hanging on. So sometimes uh, he solves the case by being by finding the one the one clue that gets him in the right direction. He may not exactly have figured everything out, but because with his bulldoggedness, he's put himself, he, he's put the people that are uh, guilty um, and he's, he's made them nervous. And so they have to try to eliminate him. And, and thus from that, sometimes he figures out who the bad guys are. Well, who are the detectives that he worked with um, besides the one, besides the DA? Which detectives did he work with in order to help him out at the end? Ouch, I just dropped myself. Detective, I'm, I'm trying. Let me see. I'm trying to remember in this book. Uh, Hold on a I minute. Mean, I got the book in front of me. If it doesn't fall on my knee again, Detective Sepkin. Detective who? Sepkin. Detective Skupkin. Skupkin. S K U P I N. He brought him down to the San Diego this... Police Department. Yeah, is that from this book? I can't remember. I do remember that detective. I can't remember how he was involved in this book. Okay, don't worry about it. Oh, wait, wait, okay. wait, wait a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, I do remember. I do remember. He's someone who was in uh, in uh, Wrong Light that Rick actually yeah. kind of had and exactly. ended up having a, a decent relationship with. And uh, he is he does uh, he does he has a I don't want to give away the ending. But let's just say he he's, no don't he give away the a, ending because you're not allowed a, to do a that. part in this in in this book. So but he's one of the rare cops that Rick actually they actually kind of forged some sort of trust yeah. between each other. There are not too many cops in this book that like Rick at all, but that's too bad on them because he's better than they are. Well, so, he's kind of earned it. He's he, earned it. So he has a relationship with Leah and a friendship with Moira, and Moira just disappears for a while. How come she gets so mad at him that she doesn't do anything until she decides to help him? And how is that going to continue in the future? Is she coming back? She has a very prominent role in the book that um, I just turned in. Very prominent role. Oh, good. Yeah. It's very personal. This case is very personal to her in the next one. So, thus to Rick. Yeah, more than going to help her, right? That, uh, I, I, when I started writing this, this series, I wanted Rick to be completely a lone wolf. I didn't want him to have any help. I didn't want him to have the Superman sidekick. Yeah. I didn't want him to have any sidekick. And then when I introduced Moira in the second book, um, I kind of liked her, and then I needed her for a scene in the third book, and it became a bigger part. And in the fourth book, I needed her for one scene, and she sort of almost took over the book. So I can't imagine writing books without her now. Um, she had a small part in Lost Tomorrows. So it's kind of funny how things evolve, where I wanted this guy to be completely isolated, and he is to some degree, but he has this one uh, partner who I never even met, never even was in my head when I was writing this guy for 10 years before mm-hmm. I got published. And then uh, once uh, I needed her for something, she kind of came alive in my head and on the paper, on the page. So um, I'm I'm happy that I I w- was able to expand my horizons a little bit and, and not have Rick uh, completely isolated. So she has a part. She definitely has a part in the stories. What about Leah in the next? She's coming back too, isn't she? Or how is their relationship going to change or stay the same? And we'll say she's back in the next book. 
She's back in the next book. Midnight the Dog is back. back in the next book. What about Turk? I love him. Turk is he has he has a role. He has a cameo in the next book. Are you introducing anybody new? Uh, let's see. Um, not, not on a long-term basis, I don't think. Okay. So he, he gains the respect of everyone, but yet every time he decides to do something, the police want to smack him in the head, and they, they don't like his interference. Why is it because he knows better than they do, or he sees things clearer? Even though he doesn't see things at all, sort of. No, no, it's no, it's he's obstruct. He obstructs their um, their investigation in some ways. I mean, they have legitimate reason not to like him, and and not to have him around. There is one cop also that uh, Detective Sheets, Jim Sheets, who's actually in this next book, um, who actually sees that um, he was actually in the last book too. He's is willing to take Rick at his word in some cases, and he's open to learning new things that maybe he hasn't done his own investigation. Whereas most of the other police just see Rick as an impediment, and he is in some ways. And sometimes he's wrong when he's uh, muddying things up, but a lot of times he's right. So I mean, it's a it's a legitimate reason for the police to be upset with him. He, he he's earned their um, their anger. Well, how does he deal with it when he's wrong? How does he, when he realizes, oh, my God, I got this wrong, I've got to look at it a different way. How does he realize it? What does he do when he realizes I might have made a mistake? How does he figure that out? Because he's not going to turn around and say, guess what, ha-ha, I made a mistake. What does he do then? Well, he tries to find the right path, but he really inter- internalizes it. He, uh, he, in, 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 in many ways, over the books, People that he, that he's encountered, that he's tried to help, or that he's needed their help to find his ultimate conclusion, have gotten hurt, and he feels that. He definitely feels that it's something that's always with him. But and yet he's still in his quest to always find the truth. He repeats some of the same um, 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 paths of of uh, trying to find the truth and. In, engulfing people in uh, this quest And it does something he thinks about But ultimately he thinks that Finding the, the greater truth Finding justice Is his um, His quest and, though, and thus He often Repeats his bad behavior mm. A lot of people do Kids do yeah. lots, lots of people do <laughs> They don't learn the first time Adults do yeah. I know, I, I I know, terrible. I do the same thing. Well, what tell us about Muldoon's and how they how he came to be with Turk there. Yeah, Muldoon's was a restaurant he worked in when he was when he was in when he was fourteen or so, and his his family cool. needed the money. He worked he worked summers there. That's where he met Turk, and it's uh it's taken after a restaurant I worked in when I was in uh for well when I was in. Uh, college and after college worked there for 10 years uh, called Chuck Steakhouse which is part of a chain but there was only, there's only a few of them left it, it started in Hawaii owned by a guy named Chuck Rose and the one in La Jolla was uh, built and owned by a, a man named Mark Richards who I I took uh, I used 
part of his life's experiences to create Turk along with a, a friend of mine who passed named Tom Burke. Put those two together and I came up with Turk Muldoon. So there's a lot for me. There's a lot of uh, history in that restaurant, both for Rick and for me, as I was writing it. So I, it's always kind of a nice place for me to go back to. It's not, it's not there. It's the same entity now. It's been gone for many years, but the building is still there. And uh, when I write about it, I see, I see the place where I worked for ten years. So it's important. That's amazing. That's amazing. My first job was when I was ten in my father's cleaning store, doing with the bagging and pressing. And 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 collating everything. That's what he had me doing. He said, "In my family, if you didn't learn it, you didn't get it." Yeah, I tried. Right. Yeah, well, I didn't like doing it. My sister had the register, <laughs> and I was in the back helping the presser clean, bag the work. And they didn't have one of those. Or my father didn't want the automatic kind, so I literally had to search through all the numbers to make sure I had all the pieces and everything. That was not wow. a lot of fun. But if I wanted an well, extra you know, allowance money, forget it. Yeah, that's what made me like I this. A, I don't know why. I think it is a, that's a very um, family-oriented business. My, the place where I get my drug yeah. thing done is definitely yeah. family-owned. Yeah, everyone in my family. My father was supposed to go to college, but my grandfather died when he was younger. So my grandmother made him quit. He was going to become a CPA. Instead, he did CPA, cleaner, press, or alterer. And he, everybody in my family, my yeah, my grandfather had the biggest store on 181st Street and Mohegan Avenue, and then he bought one for all of the grand, all of the sons and son-in-laws, everyone. Mm. So he bought like six go. or seven yeah. stores, yeah, like the Jeffersons and what can I say? So I could tell you how to clean clothes and get stains out. <laughs> so this is this is a story about this deception, money, lies, and a certain person that took so much from a lot of people. But nobody saw it. How come people, so many people were blindsided and they didn't realize what was happening? I think that people that, um, I don't want to say con men, I'll say con people. Yeah. People that are grifters, people that are grifters are very good at, at what they do. They get your confidence. That's why they initially were called confidence men. They get yeah. your confidence. And they also, they also work on, on greed in some ways where mm-hmm. they can, uh, there's a great, great movie called, uh, what the hell is it called? By David Mamet, one of my favorite movies. And I can't remember the name where you kind of get a feel for how that works, where they're going to, once they gain your confidence then, and then they're going to find, uh, if you have a little larceny in your soul and if you do that, they, they work on that. So that's, that's how some of these people can't like think about, um, who's the guy in New York, the, um, the guys in prison, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know the the the, the all time mm-hmm. the all time grifter. Anyways, uh, so how did you how did you come up with this title, Blind Vigil? Well, it sort of came organic. It came organically, I think, through the through the book. The titles always do. I mean, Blind obviously works. And uh, there's a one point where Rick talks about being on a. Uh, blind vigil he's he's trying to see while he he's he's trying to see while he can't he's um, in, investigating through darkness that that's that's hard that is really hard well that title could have a lot of multiple meanings anyway for different people so what's right. next for you uh, next when am i getting it uh, it's it comes out i think november 30th of 2021. It's called uh, Last Redemption. 
And, oh, nice. Uh, probably around June is when the ARCs will be available, my guess. Well, Lisa sent me your ARC for this one, either at the end of October, beginning of September. And at that point, I didn't know she sent it. And when I asked her how come I didn't get it, you had she put out a request for book pleasures. And I was surprised that Norm didn't give it to me. Then I emailed her, and she said the book was in the mail weeks ago, and somebody actually took it in the mail room. They've been taking a couple of things. So my book mail is like getting, I have to, you know, go down there early and make sure that nobody takes it because no one's allowed to bring books upstairs anymore because of this COVID thing. For the last two months, uh-huh. they could put them in front of my door, and now they have a mail pay table, and they actually take my books, and I don't know when things are coming. So where can everybody find out more about you and your work? And I'll, I'll make sure that I remember to get that. You and, and John Lesquois, his book is coming out in November, too. And I was very honored that I was I interviewed Jeffrey Diva last week with John and oh, with great. Heather Graham. Yeah, their, their anthology, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight. You want to read it, people. Yeah. It's really good. And you definitely want to read all of Rick Cahill. And for those of you that haven't bought your Hanukkah Christmas presents, I like presents for New Year's, personally. Yeah, so You can fun. buy a few. Yeah, so where yeah, can we find out more is, about uh, you my, and your work? My website's mattcoilbooks.com. Um, on Facebook, I'm Matt Coyle, I think. And uh, Twitter, I don't know how to retweet things. I'm mcoyle, I think, or coilm or something. Um, and Instagram, I'm mcoyle044. But uh and social media-wise, if you want to uh, interact with me, my website, my presence is definitely Coil, and um, you'll see pictures of my dog doing couch yoga. Oh, much. I do. And, I do. Yeah. And I also have uh, Matt Coil author. It's one of my Facebook uh, Well, I see, I, I never liked dogs until my brother had a, has a rescue dog, and I miss Bella Bella. I call her Bella Bella. She's a Rottweiler, mm. and she's so cute. Good dogs. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's an experienced Bella, <laughs> but I never, I never did yeah. until my mother-in-law had a dog, Randy, and he was, he loved me because I was the only one that could scratch him the right way and make him feel better. So, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> and when she died, she gave him to somebody else, and I haven't seen my baby, but hopefully mm. he's being taken care of the right way. But thank you so much. Yeah. This, this is great. Thank you. Matt, do you do um, panels or anything? Sure, all the time. Yeah, doing one uh, a couple of weeks. I have I have a whole bunch of them coming up, so I'm I'm debating about doing something really unusual in March. I'm not sure. I would I would like to talk about something other than the virus, um, things that make people happy, <laughs> things that have changed in your life because of the of this virus. I mean, I haven't seen my family in a year and a half. I haven't seen anybody. I don't go anywhere. Except you know maybe right. to a medical appointment or to the pharmacy or to the bakery that makes the best everything. I don't go anywhere, so thank God I don't have to worry about getting this horrific thing. But you don't know. So yeah. if I have a topic that you're interested in, I will let you know. But thank you so okay. much, thank everybody. You. Let's. As it always. is how much? Uh, it is 41 degrees. It's a heat wave. Seriously. Thank you so much, Matt. Stay safe. And what I say at the end of every show, and this I've been doing, people have agreed or disagreed with me, just one small ask. When you go outside, protect me. I'll protect you. Please wear a mask. It's it's for all of us. And everybody out there, social distance, wash your hands, 
Make sure you stay safe, and whatever you do, if you come in contact with somebody like COVID, get tested right away. It's the wise thing to do. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a great day, everybody, and bye. You too. Thanks.